So as we come together this morning, I just want to consider a couple of things. I just want to toss a couple of ideas out there and, and have us work with them. And of course, I, I always kind of expect that after this hour together is over, that we each spend some time during the week kind of kind of working with these ideas or letting these ideas work with us until whatever meaning is appropriate for us, whatever one speaks to our heart, whatever one moves us in, in whatever direction we need to be moved this week, works upon us, works upon us. It, it was always very interesting to me when um, when we were meeting at the Carolina Theater there in, in Durham. After the service, we kind of had a greeting line, so whoever was the speaker would just kind of stand there, and then everybody that was in the audience that they would kind of come out and shake hands or hugs or things like that. And, and as people went by, they would say, what was important to them that day? What they got out of that talk that day? And two things always amazed me. One was that almost everybody got something different, which, which you would expect. People, pe people get what they came to get. And then the other thing is, is that sometimes people would get something out of a talk that was never in that talk. You know, I would go back and listen to the tape. I never said that. But they heard it. They heard it. And again, that is, I believe, that is what they came to hear that day. That is what they needed to hear. So isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that we can all hear the same thing and come away with different understandings. That we can all hear the same thing and that sometimes our understanding has nothing to do with what we heard. But rather something that we added, something that was added somewhere in our psyche. You know, a value add, I call that. A value add. You know. What is this thing called mind? What are these things called thoughts? How, how do we know that we know anything. How do we know what we know? These are important, important questions. Important for us to consider. Because this is the very stuff that life is made of. Not necessarily the human life. We can, <laughs> we can get through human life without really thinking too much or knowing what thinking is or caring what thinking is. You see it around us all the time. But our eternal life, our spiritual life, really, really comes down to us coming to know ourselves. Right? So the temple, the temple of Apollo at Delphi, where the oracle of Delphi was, <clears throat> had a plaque and it said, Know thyself. Know thyself. Probably the most, the most important <laughs> advice we can get. Know thyself. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Where St. Paul said, Who am I that God is even mindful of me? What is this thing called God? All of these, all of these questions, you know. Can we actually know God without knowing ourselves? Can we know ourselves without knowing God? These are deep, deep questions that most of the time people don't even think about. Go through life entirely. You know, I love the movie Forrest Gump. 
Forrest Gump never seemed to think about anything. He just did what he was told, and he was a great success in this world because he just simply did as somebody else told him. And I think, to me, that was the satire of the movie, and I'm sure other people watched that movie and got a totally different message. But all you really needed to succeed in life was just do what people told you to do. You know? The drill sergeant told him to take his weapon apart and put it back together, so he did. Outstanding private pile. You know? Lieutenant Dan told him to do something, put his money into apples, and he did. He became a millionaire. You know? Mama said, and he did. No thinking required. Just do whatever he was told. <clears throat> And yet, we are told, know thyself. In Buddhism, we are given the concept that what we are trying to do, or perhaps what we should do, is to see things as they are. Now, most of us in our, in our arrogance would say, well, of course I see things as they are, because things are exactly as I see them. But to tell us to see things as they are implies that we are not seeing things as they are. So if we are not seeing things as they are, what are we seeing? And what are things really? What is reality? What is reality? If we are told to know ourselves, then that implies that we don't know ourselves. And we would say, well, don't be ridiculous. Of course I know myself. I've lived with myself all these years. I've gone to bed with myself. I've gotten out of bed with myself. I've, I've eaten breakfast with myself. I've done all of these things with myself. I've driven a car. I've gone to school. I've, I've this, I've that, I've the other thing. Who is the I? Who is the I that gets out of bed in the morning? Where is the I that gets out of bed in the morning? What gets out of bed in the morning? Is it me or is it the body? Am I the body or am I something else? Deep, deep, deep questions that are implied here. Deep questions that I would dare say most of us do not spend a lot of, a lot of time even worrying about, you know, even considering. Who's got time for that nonsense? Why worry about things that you'll never be able to figure out? All of those kind of, kind of pragmatic things that you would hear from, from probably from your parents when you were a little kid and you asked why too many times. When we had the center in Wilmington, we had uh, what we called metaphysical movie night. I think it was on Wednesdays. And we would just, you know, rent a movie and people would come in and we would watch the movie together and then we would discuss it. You know, what, what, what was the meaning of the movie? What did you take away from the movie? And one of my favorite movies for the exercise was the original uh, film, The Matrix, Keanu Reeves. And if you, if, you've, if you remember the movie, if you've never seen it, it's... it's It'll certainly be worth, after listening to this talk, it'll certainly be worth going out and, and uh, finding it. But if you remember the plot, the robots had taken over the world, the machines had won, and then the question became, well, what, what was the need for people? And what the need for people was, 
was that the robots had figured out that the human body functioned as a battery and they could draw power from the human body. So the human beings were in these little, little cocoon-like pods with wires coming out of them and tubes going into the body to feed the body and tubes carrying away waste products. And the whole purpose of the human being was simply to provide energy for the machines. That was, that was the purpose of the human being. But in order to keep the human beings in kind of a, a comatose state, the, the robots had figured out a way to induce a dream, to induce dreams. So all of these billions and billions of people in these billions and billions of pods, they were stuck in a dream. They were stuck in a dream. Now occasionally somebody would come out of that dream. They would start to realize that, that they, they were in a dream. They would become lucid and they would want to get out of the dream. And of course this is where the whole movie starts with, with the, the protagonist of the movie. He awakens from the dream. And when he awakens, he finds that there are other woke people. He finds that this reality that he had been living in, in the Matrix, which by the way, the Matrix was Carl Jung's term for the collective unconscious, right? The collective dream that we are all stuck in, the collective unconscious. So he finds that there are other people who are also awake. And then they go on this quest, you know, this quest to kind of stop the dream, to stop the machines, to help people to wake up and all these kind of things. There's a couple interesting things about, about the way that the, the screenwriters portrayed the dream. One is that somewhere in the movie they say, well, at one time they made the dreams extremely pleasant. There was no conflict, there was no problem, there was, it was just just all the dreams were extremely pleasant. And the people, the people wouldn't stay asleep. They needed problems to solve. So, so into the program of the dreams, they had to inject problems so that people's minds would become busy in the problem and try to work on the problem and try to solve the problem within the dream. And this, this artificial problem-solving help to serve the purpose of keeping them in the dream, in the dream. It was sort of a distraction of mind. The other thing is that there was a character in the movie who, who also woke from the dream. And he decided he didn't like reality. <laughs> the dream was better. So, so he, he's negotiating He's negotiating with the agent of the artificial intelligence to put him back in a dream, in a pleasant dream, where he eats beautiful steak every night and he listens to wonderful music and he's completely content, but he never wakes up. He never wakes up. And what I took away from that was, you know, we're in that dream. We are all in that dream. We are all stuck in a dream, and we don't know that we're dreaming.
but we believe that the dream is real. We believe that what is going on within that dream is real. It is reality. And we're content to stay in that dream. We're content with the distractions in the dream. We're content with the problems in the dream and the drama. Oh my goodness, the drama, you know. Look at our society and how we are addicted to drama. Everything. Politics, television, movies, religion, everything is drama. Scandal and gossip is drama. We are so caught up in it. And what we want to consider today is that all of these things are distractions, diversions, tricks of the mind that keep us from experiencing the reality that is already there if we would only awaken to it. Only awaken to it. In Plato's Republic, he gives us the, um, <clears throat> the story of the people in the cave. And Plato says that these people were, were raised in a cave and they were chained there in the cave and they were, they were fastened in such a manner that they could only see the far wall of the cave. They could not see out the entrance to the cave. And when the sun came up, of course the wall would light up. <clears throat> And as people and animals and wagons and things like that passed up and down the road that passed outside the, the mouths of the cave, his people would see the shadows along the wall. And as they saw those shadows on the wall, they believed that the shadows were real. They didn't know that they were just projections. They believed that they were real. And then one day, one of the people was able to escape his chains, <clears throat> and he went outside. And the first thing is, he was blinded by the light, right? This is kind of a typical description of a mystical experience, blinded by the light. Paul was knocked off his horse on his way to Damascus, and he was blinded by the light. Right? So this person went out of the cave, and they were blinded by the light. And after their eyes became adjusted, they became aware of a whole different reality. Instead of just shadows moving on the wall, these were people in three dimensions and colors and shape and form and size, sight and sound and smell. There were animals, there were wagons, there were trees, there were birds. And this person comes back into the cave and he tells everybody in the cave, he says, you know, he says, you're living in an illusion. What you, what you believe to be real is not real at all. There's a whole another reality outside. We just have to turn around. We just have to get you to break out of this dream, to break out of your chains. And you will be able to see it too. And they told him, sit down, sit down, you're not feeling well, there's something wrong with you, you're crazy. And they point to the shadows on the wall and they would say, that is reality. You're having some kind of a 
a dream, you're having some kind of a nightmare. So my point here is, is that if we stop and investigate the different teachings of the world, the different religious teachings of the world, they are telling us that we are asleep, that we are in a dream, that we need to awaken to that which is really real. Joel Goldsmith puts it this way. He says, if you look at the book of Genesis, <clears throat> We are told in the book of Genesis that God put Adam into a deep sleep. But nowhere are we told that Adam woke up. Adam stayed in that deep sleep. You and I are born in that deep sleep. And each and every one of us, our spiritual growth of each and every one of us, is to awaken from the Adam dream. The dream of duality. The dream of the knowledge of good and evil. See, that is what we are doing. That is what we are trying to do in our spiritual growth. Now what we want to consider is that this thing that we call our spiritual growth, whatever this is, this is not about adding anything to us. Or as Emmett Fox would say, it's about minusing, it's not about plusing. There is nothing that can be done to you or for you or to me or for me that can make me any more spiritual than I already am. That is my nature. What must be done is the dissolution, the removing of the barriers, if you want to call them that, the distractions, the, the activity of monkey mind, if you want to consider it that way. The things that I believe to be true that are not true my opinions of life, my prejudices, my biases, my, my desires, my favorites, all of these things that keep me from seeing things as they are. Now, if you've ever been in a, a group of people, especially people that might just be meeting for the first time, you know, you, you go to a conference and there's a group of people and you, they put you at a table or something and, you know, you're having, you're having coffee and and rolls for breakfast before the meeting and people are making small talk, you know. And if, if there's a pause at the table, if there's a, it, it's an awkward silence at the table, somebody feels compelled to fill that space with noise, with chatter, mindless chatter to extent. You know, isn't it a beautiful day? What do you think the weather's going to do tomorrow? Did anybody see the football game last night? Just anything, anything to fill that gap, that silence. It is as if in our culture and if in our consciousness we can't stand the silence. So we are constantly, and our, and our minds are constantly putting up 
this wall, this, this wall of thought, this wall of opinion, this wall of, of all kinds of things. And they are not reality. They are illusions. They are creations of consciousness. And these, because we are engaged in and stuck in, and we stay with those, those fantasies, we never get into the gap. We never get into the silence. We never allow ourselves to get into that place where the omniscience already is where the perfection already is, where the love already is. So we want to stop for a second and say, how do we know anything? And, and jokingly, I said at the beginning, the topic of the talk is, you don't know nothing. Actually, the topic I put on YouTube is, what is reality? What is reality? I think what we are striving for in our spiritual growth is to experience reality. But then the question is, is aren't we experiencing it now? And if not, then how do we experience it? And then how would we know if what we are experiencing is reality or just another layer, just another layer of a dream? So consider this, we go to bed at night, we go to sleep, we fall unconscious, right? The first, the first step is, is dreamless sleep. We go into unconsciousness, more or less, you know, I mean, I mean people will argue, well, you can still hear a smoke detector if it goes off. Yep, you can, but, you know, is there any, acti is there any real activity, brain activity going on? And then you get into to dreams, right? Rapid eye movement, sleep. You start to get into dreams. And there's, there's this entire drama, there's this entire play, there's this big creation of, <laughs> God only knows where it comes from. There's this big, big play that takes place, you know. And you're in the middle of it and you believe it is absolutely real. You know? It's so real that if something's chasing you, your heart will beat faster. So real that if, you, if you're frightened in your dream, you might actually cry out in your bed. We are typically unable to tell that it's a dream. It's there. It's happening. We're caught up in it. And we believe it is real. So the clock goes off in the morning and, and we hear the beep, beep, beep. We go, oh, thank goodness. That was only a dream. All of that drama I lived through last night, all of those things chasing me, whatever, all the, my, my worst one is, having been a troubleshooter for all these years, is I'll work on a problem all night that I can't solve. And then when the clock goes off in the morning, I realize it was a totally bogus problem to start with. It was something that my mind gave me to keep me busy. Something that was a distraction, something that was a diversion, something like in the matrix, you know. Here, give them this to work on, keep them busy. So in the morning, the clock goes off and we go, oh, thank God. That was only a dream. 
But how do we know we're awake? How do we know that we're not just in a different level of the dream? How do we know that we're not just dreaming that we're awake? See? Now we believe we are because that's our experience. That's what we've learned. That's what we've been taught. But we don't know. We don't know. So what I'm suggesting is that we have to, to kind of recognize that one of the things, and perhaps the biggest thing, that keeps us from making the growth, making the advances in our growth that we want, is that we're stuck in a dream. And what we really want to do is, is we want to stop dreaming. We want to break out of the dream. We want to awaken from the dream. So how do we do that? Now, I'll just, I'll just suggest just one thing here that struck me funny as, as it was rolling through my mind is we might say, well, why? Why are we in a dream? You know, Who put us in the dream? And, and, and what's the purpose of the dream? And we go on into all these things and what we are doing is, is we, are, we are distracting ourselves at a totally different level. In other words, we're still making stuff up in our minds. So we must at least recognize that there is this almost constant barrage, this chatter of stuff that keeps coming up that prevents us from seeing things as they are. During the uh, Second World War, the, uh, the British needed to, to protect the Suez Canal because it was within um, bombing range of, of the enemy forces. And of course if they lost the Suez Canal they, they would lose an important uh, shipping lane. So the question became how do they, how do they keep the, the bombers at night from being able to fly over and, and bomb and destroy the, the locks on the canal? And what, the, the way that they did it was they brought in a magician, a stage magician, who was a master of illusion. He could do things on the stage right in front of everybody's eyes and they would never see him do it. And what he did was he came up with a, um, a series of lights and revolving mirrors. Now if you've, if you've ever tried to see um, see somebody standing next to a car at night with the headlights on, you can't see that, right? Because the headlights are all you can see. The, the lights kind of <clears throat> glare in your eyes and everything beyond those lights you can't see. And what he did was he came up with a series of, of lights and mirrors to reflect them. And the mirrors revolved and the lights shined onto the mirrors and the mirrors beamed up into the sky and some type of mechanical device <coughs> turned the mirrors and it just flooded the sky with a blinding light. The Suez Canal was right there. <laughs> it didn't go anywhere. It was right there. But the enemy pilots who wanted to bomb it couldn't see what was there because there was something in the way. Something in the way. There's something in our way. There's something in our way. And it's generally stuff that 
we, if, if we could say we, we don't know that it's us, there's just stuff that's being made up that is just keeping us from seeing what is there. So for example, we see a flower. Somebody holds up a beautiful flower and we see the flower and immediately we start adding value to it. Oh, well that's a rose. I wonder what kind of rose that is. Is that a tea rose? I don't know. How would I know? Maybe I need to go on Google and look up all different kinds of roses. I wonder, I wonder if there's a, a commercial value to that. I wonder, I wonder if I could raise those roses and, and, and sell those roses. Our mind takes us to the future. But we say, you know what? I remember, I remember one time when I was a little kid. I saved up my money. <clears throat> I saved up my money for a year. And I went to the store. And I, and I bought a dozen roses for my mother on, on uh, Valentine's Day. And I gave her those roses. And, and you know what? She loved those roses. That was, those were the best things, best gift I ever gave her. And she talked about it for years. And now we're in the past. Now, are we experiencing the rose? Not at all. Not at all. We're experiencing the past. We're experiencing the future. We're experiencing ideas about roses. But we're not experiencing the rose. This is why we were told, stop and smell the roses. Don't analyze their fragrance. So we must become aware of the fact that this is something that is going on. Why it is going on, we probably don't know. I love what the Buddha say. The game was in progress when we got here. You know, <laughs> we don't know who started this, but it was in progress when we got here. But it is. It is. And then we have to catch ourselves, you see. We have to be aware of it. We have to be aware that, that we want to break away from it. And we have to be able to be the witness, right? This is why in so many meditation techniques, being the witness is important. We must be the witness. We must observe whatever this is. The, we, we might say it's us, or we might say it just is, you know? Because we label things. We, we misidentify things. We say, I had a thought. Did you? Did you have a thought? Show me how you had that thought. Prove to me that you had that thought. Or maybe you just became aware of that thought. Maybe that thought came from someplace else. You know, I think um, I think it's Peter Carruthers is the gentleman's name. I was reading an article about his work. He's a philosopher of consciousness, and he talks about the field of awareness and thoughts appearing on the field of awareness. And I thought, wow, that's a great way to put it. You know, so we say I had a thought. Maybe it's I became aware of a thought. I can't tell you. How I think. I can't, I can't tell you the process by which I think. I can't even tell you where I am. You know, I say, I had a thought, well, where am I? Who am I? You know, am I in my head? Am I in my heart? Am I in my stomach? As some cultures have the root of consciousness. Deep questions. I mean, we, we go through life assuming that we know everything that we, that, <laughs> that we see, and we don't know anything. We don't really know anything. It's all made up. 
It's all made up stuff. So we have to be aware of the fact that we are stuck in this dream. And then we want to observe ourselves. We want to observe ourselves engaging in it. So now we look at a rose and we say, oh, that's a rose, you know. Well, that's a label. That's a label. Where did that label come from? How do you know that's a rose? Well, I know that because I learned it in school. Oh, so, so you, you don't know it's a rose, but you know what somebody told you. You see? Well, yes, I, I, I know what the book said. There was this, there was this book and there was this picture and, and it said, this is a rose. Uh-huh. But you don't know it's a rose, you just know that somebody told you it's a rose. We start to ask ourselves, well, how do I, how do I really know anything? Is, is everything that I think and everything that I believe and everything that I think that I know just somebody else's opinion that has been given to me and I accepted it as real and I never even questioned it, you know. I believe it's a rose because somebody in authority told me it was a rose. Maybe they lied, you know. Maybe they were wrong. What other names might there be for this? If it didn't have a name, okay, Shakespeare's famous quote, a rose by any other name would still smell the same. If it didn't have a name, what would it be? So how can I experience the rose? How can I experience the rose? How can I experience whatever that is? You might say, well, maybe it's a flower. But flower is just another term that we have learned. (coughs) If we weren't here to label it, if we weren't here to analyze it, we weren't here to judge it. This is why we're told judge not. It would still be, see, it would still be. Life is, reality is, God is. And do we wish to experience it? The, the knowing that we are talking about is a knowing by experience. A knowing without labels, a knowing without thought, a knowing without analysis, a knowing without moving into the past or moving into the future, simply experiencing. This is why in Zen we're told Zen, Zen is to eat when you are eating and to walk when you are walking. This is why we are told in mindfulness, be here now. This is why the mystics say there is no past, there is no future, there is only the eternal now. But we miss the eternal now because we are following the chatter of the monkey mind as it flits and flits and flits and flits all over the place. So we never experience reality. We experience the activity of the monkey mind. Have you, have you ever said something, especially if you're raising kids, have you ever said something and all of a sudden realized, oh my God, I, I just channeled my father? That wasn't me. <laughs> that, was, that was my father speaking. How much of what we think we know comes from other people? I, I just want to inject here just very quickly. 
how important this is, not just for our spiritual growth, but, but for life in general. If you look at what's going on in our country today, we have two deeply polarized and two deeply opposite worldviews, and then we have one in the middle that doesn't seem to care very much one way or the other. But we have two opposing camps who are deeply divided, and each thinks the other is entirely wrong. And yet, if you take either position, I'm not taking sides, I'm saying if you take either position and ask, well, how do you know that you know? What you find is, is that people don't know. Well, well, somebody told me this, or I heard this, or I read that. How do you know? How do you know what you know? And what we're seeing is, is people who are willing to in, engage in physical violence over an idea over an idea that may or may not be true. When we were doing a root cause analysis in, in business, you know, we were taught, ask five levels of why before you try to solve the problem. Something went wrong. Why did it go wrong? Well, it went wrong because of this. Well, why did that happen? Well, that, went, that happened because of this. And then try to drill your way down five levels. <clears throat> And when you get down to the fifth level, then try to make an intervention there because that was the one that was going to, to produce a lasting result. What we found when we started that was, if we got down three levels, we were doing good. We didn't know. We didn't know. So I would ask you to take any opinion that you hold, any idea that you, that you believe to be true, and ask five levels of why and see if you can get down five levels before you say, well, that's just it. That's, that's just the way it is, you know. And I think we will find that we really don't know much. We really don't know anything. We just think we know. So we see something, immediately our mind starts giving us labels, opinions, and thoughts, and memories, and, and imaginations, and fantasies, and projections about the future, and we're not experiencing reality. We are experiencing the activity of our monkey mind. Alright, so what can we do about this? What can we do about this? We're stuck in the dream. We are aware that we can be aware that we are stuck in the dream. We can be aware that there is a way of knowing that does not require all of this, this uh, inquiry, this, this uh, logical reasoning and working our way back to the truth because the truth is already within us. We can become observers through meditation. We can become observers of this, of this crazy activity and detach ourselves from it. <laughs> and I love the way we trick ourselves. We sit down and meditate and say, well, well, what I want to do here is, is I want to stop my thoughts. You know, don't do that. Don't waste your time trying to do that. Just observe them. Just detach yourself. But when I first started meditating many years ago, I so, said, oh, I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to stop my thoughts. And I would count my breath and I would chant Om and, and I would say, oh, I did it. I did it. There you go. I've stopped my thought. I'm not thinking. Isn't that wonderful? I'm, I'm not even thinking. There's not a thing happening in here. I'm not thinking. And of course, I was just thinking that I wasn't thinking because I was thinking about not thinking. And it's, it makes me laugh now, you know. But our mind does that. 
but we have to be aware of the gap. So in our meditation, in our still point meditation practice, we become aware of all of this activity and we become aware of the fact that we don't have to become engaged with it. We don't have to be stuck in it. We can just be the observer of it, you see. Instead of believing that all of that junk is real, we can just say, well, there it goes. Here it comes, there it goes. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> the second thing in meditation, one of the uh, techniques that the Buddha taught, and he said if you would focus on this one technique, you would reach enlightenment, <clears throat> is called mind the gap. Mind the gap. So if we are working with our breath, we breathe in and we breathe out. We breathe in and we breathe out. And then we're asked, can you find that point where the breath turns? We're breathing in, oh, now it turns and it goes out. Up, oh, that was the point right there. There it was, right there. It turned and it went out. Oh, it's going out, it's going out, it's going out. Up, oh, right there, it turned and it's coming back in, you see? We become aware. This is going on since the day we were born and we've never been aware of it. So we become aware of that. And then we come to realize that there is an almost imperceptible gap. There is a point where the breath is neither coming in nor is it going out. And what we are taught in a meditation practice is to try to stay in that gap. Right? Because we're, we're thinking, we're thinking, oh, it's coming in, oh, it's coming in, oh, it's coming in, oh, it's coming in. Oh, it's going out, it's going out, it's going out. But there's a gap right in the middle where there's nothing. If we can do this with our breath, we can do this with our thoughts. In our meditation, we can say, oh, look, a thought has arisen. That's it. A thought has arisen. And after a while, oh look, a thought has arisen as another one comes up. Don't engage it. Don't think about it. Don't argue with it. Just observe it. Just be the witness. And what we come to realize then is that there is a gap between the thoughts. During the day our monkey mind is busy, busy, busy throwing all kinds of stuff at us. When we sit to meditate, perhaps it slows down. But we become aware, or we can become aware of the fact that there is a gap. There is a place where no thinking is occurring. There is a place where we can simply be and observe. And we want to practice being in that gap. Now I'll give you one other technique that has, has worked for me. And uh, I recommend it. I recommend that you find what works for you. There are some activities that I can engage in. That if I stay engaged in them for a while this chatter seems to go away. For me specifically, it is sailing on a boat on the ocean 
over the rhythm of the waves. Now if I can't get on a boat, I go sit on a bench at the shore and I watch the waves, you see. Now if, at, at first the intellect is completely engaged and it's analyzing and it's weighing things. And if I'm on the sailboat, I'm saying, well, what, what is the angle that the waves are coming to the bow? And, and what is the period of the waves? How often are they coming? And what is the steepness of the waves? And what is the height of the waves? And I'm doing all of this intellectual junk. But after a while, maybe an hour, maybe two, maybe three, after a while, I'm simply in the rhythm and the flow, and the wind has filled the sails, and the bow is slicing through the water. And we're going up a wave, or we're going down a wave. We're going up a wave, or we're going down a wave. And there's, the thought process just seems to stop. So there are some activities, there are some activities that we can engage in that help us to become fully present, that's what we're talking about, fully present, fully mindful, fully aware, mindfulness meditation. We are fully there, every bit of us is there, and we're not distracted by the chatter of the monkey mind. So we're told, know yourself. We are told, see things as they are. We are told, do not judge by appearances. And all of those imply that we don't know ourselves, we don't see things as they are, and we are judging by appearances. And we are doing so because we are stuck in the dream. And our mission, should we decide to accept it, <clears throat> is to break out of the dream. <clears throat> not by adding anything in, but by letting go of our belief in the reality of the dream. One last technique, and I'll close, one last technique that uh, <clears throat> comes to us from uh, the Yoga Sutras of Pantajoli is recurrently during the day. Just remind yourself, this is an illusion. This is an illusion. This is only an illusion. And the illusion now dissolves. And if you do if you do that frequently during the day for several days, it will start to disappear. Now it can be frightening because we have come to believe in the reality of the illusion but it will start to disappear. When it starts to disappear, we experience the love, the peace, the power, the strength, and the beauty that was always there, and that is our true nature. So I invite you to explore, explore, explore the workings of consciousness. Admit to yourself you don't know nothing. Be willing to begin with a beginner's mind and awaken from the dream. And so it is.